Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion, to which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to expand in faith, hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because they anchor us in something which can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. From Matthew. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Kara. Uh, hey, friends, my name's Steve, and I'm the pastor around here at Genesis. So glad that you're here. Um, every once in a while, I have a moment where I realize um, like sitting down there that I'm actually a pastor and I am actually about to go preach. And it strikes me as funny uh, because I just never was going to be a pastor growing up. That was never even, I never even wasn't going to be a pastor. I just, it never entered my mind that that would be a possibility. So 24 and a half years later, uh, as being a pastor, I sometimes still realize, holy mama, I have to do this. Uh, explaining what maybe God said in God's word. So, I'm choosing to sit for this week. It doesn't have to be so heavy. I really didn't mean that to be so heavy. I was just like, it was a, wow, oh my goodness, here we go. So the journey of Advent has been and is about waiting for light to come in dark places. So I'll play question number one. In order to engage in Advent, what are you invited to do? Sit in the dark. Thanks, Jason, as you're sitting through your recovery. I'm sure you've had some of that. Rotator cuff. Sorry, Bob. You have to slow down. Got it. Thanks. Oh, thanks, Katie. Identify what your darkness is. Yeah, what else? 
Yeah, thanks, Nate. Acknowledge there is darkness. Oh, thanks, Andrew. See the others that are with you. Yeah, I like that a lot. What has helped you walk through it? If you have tried to walk through it. And I realize by the fourth week of Advent, most of us are going, dang it, I didn't engage in Advent again for another year. Ah! <laughs> and to that I say, there is still two more beautiful days. So even if you're with 99.7% of us who agree with that statement, what would help you engage over the next two days in Advent and waiting? Oh, thanks, Ron. Conversation with friends, big time. Say it again, Barb. Oh, agape love. So that's sort of the unconditional love of God that flows to us without our earning it. Oh, that's good. So in week one, if you remember way back to December 1st, Allie Lee gave us a vision for Advent when she read from Isaiah about the justice of God that, ju that God longs to bring. And the picture that's in Isaiah is uh, the reversing of the process of violence. So when people used to beat their plowshares into swords and beat their pruning hooks into spears so they can fight, the vision in Isaiah in the first week of Advent is a reversal of that, that, that people would beat their swords back into plowshares and their spears back into pruning hooks because they just wouldn't need swords and wouldn't need spears anymore. And to that we say, how long, O Lord, right? And then the second week of Advent, we learned... This idea of repenting and returning about hitting rock bottom and saying, I can't. We see a Christ who suffers and dies with us. And when we engage in that act that the Christ does on the cross, we realize that the primary motivation for any repenting or any returning is, as the Bible says, it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And when we see the Christ suffering with us in our darkness, that moves us to repent and return from where we've wandered. Not with willpower, amen? <laughs> I can do it, really, for how long? But with surrender. And then week three last week, um, we learned a lot about the wilderness. When we finally stopped putting all of our energy into fighting the wilderness, fighting that fear of not knowing what's next, because wilderness is that place where you know where you've been, but you just don't know where, you've go where you're going. And so comfort, we learned in week three of Advent, finally comes when we let the wilderness do what it needs to do in us, and that is... Make us cry out to God to rescue us. And when we can do that, when we can stop fighting it so much, then inexplicably, peace and comfort comes, even in the middle of craziness. And so here we are on the fourth Sunday of Advent, and we're going to learn that um, we make really good plans, but sometimes God arrives and invites us to change those good plans. Every once in a while. So uh, Matthew 119, 
as Kara just read, we read about Joseph, the husband of Mary. We don't learn much about him in the Gospels. He's, he, doesn't, he just doesn't have much of a presence, but he has a pretty big presence at the beginning of the story of the birth of the Christ. And so we read that Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose Mary to public disgrace when he found out that she was pregnant, that he planned to dismiss her quietly. So 2019, people, how do you hear that? Joseph's plan to dismiss her. How do you hear that? Don't think first century. Think 2019. What happens when a man dismisses a woman? Say it again. He ghosts her, yes. Oh my gosh. That's going to be the title of the sermon, I think. The day Joseph was tempted to ghost Mary. Thank you. That's so great. Well, in the, in the first century, it's interesting. Adultery laws in the first century in the Middle East. Ready? Okay. So in the early history of Israel, adultery was, was a capital offense, and there was no chance of mitigation. And that comes straight from Deuteronomy 22 and Leviticus 20. That's the law. Women and men got stoned. If you're caught in adultery, no trial, you are stoned to death. But by the first century, the death penalty for adultery seems to have disappeared and been replaced with compulsory divorce with or without consent of the married people. Uh, but the woman was forbidden, if the woman uh, was married and she had an affair, she was forbidden to marry her lover after having divorced her husband whom she cheated on. The man could go ahead and remarry, but the woman couldn't. And that woman, if she was caught in adultery, she wouldn't die, but her position in society was so precarious that it was unlikely anyone would ever marry her again. And so, uh, and so her, um, her life would have been in danger because no one would support her. And so since adultery was a really private, secretive activity, uh, there was a need for a way to deal with the suspicion and the accusation because how could you tell if it really happened? So what would happen is this. A woman who was accused by her husband or any other man was required to undergo an ordeal to establish her innocence. And here's how that would work. A priest would mix dust from the floor of the temple with a little water. So get the picture. And then that priest would pronounce a curse that would make her belly protrude, her thighs sag, not making this up, and render her sterile if she had been unfaithful. And then she would have to drink that. And so the way you could tell if she had been unfaithful was her belly would protrude, her thighs would sag, and she would become sterile, which is perfectly obvious to the naked eye. <laughs> so knowing this, Joseph, when he found out that Mary was pregnant, didn't want her to go through any of that. So he made a plan to dismiss her quietly. Now that sounds really harsh in 2019, but I think it was probably pretty gracious 
in the first century, or at least gracious according to the standards of culture. So I want to read Matthew 1, 20 through 23 again. Let's pick up the story. But just when Joseph had resolved to do that, dismiss her quietly, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all, that, all this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So, <laughs> comments, thoughts, questions. That's an all play. What are your thoughts so far about this story? Sorry, say it again, Nate. Why he was named Jesus instead of Emmanuel. Right. And I, my, my observation or my thought is somehow it's both. It's, it's somehow both, I think. But that's a great question. Yeah, Kara. How do you explain it to anyone? Like this dream... Okay, so an angel showed up and told me that this child was from the Holy Spirit and I should go ahead and marry her. That's, a, that's quite a coffee in the next morning with your father or mother. Yeah. Yeah, Joe asks, you know, the Holy Spirit seems like more of a later New Testament concept. What was the concept of spirit in the first century without any of the Gospels having been written, nor Jesus having been born yet? So that's interesting, too. What was, what was, was there a concept that there was a, a spirit of God that hovered and that could do something like this? Um, was it more of a Greek idea? What else? Questions, thoughts, comments? <laughs> yeah. So it, it, uh, it makes, makes us wonder, like, as Christians, sometimes we dismiss the beliefs of other religions as completely fantastical and, and almost silly. And yet we, you know, say, oh, of course, you know, woman can be impregnated by God. And, and that's the whole cornerstone of our entire faith. No questions asked. <laughs> so I think the temptation here is to go... This is ridiculous. This is fantastical. This couldn't have happened. So the writers had to make something up. Because Jesus certainly was referred to um, his, his whole life in, in the first century. Um, I'm not going to say the word, but you know what the word is. A, a son without a father, 
right? And um, so that's the temptation on one side. The temptation on the other side is just, sure, absolutely, unthinking, accept it. But let me ask you this. Like, why is it so hard to believe that miracles could happen? Or what would it cost you to believe that a miracle is possible? What would that cost you? <laughs> Thanks, James, that we don't know everything. We're e- it's, it's easy for us to understand that the person sitting next to us doesn't know everything. Uh, say it again, Greg. I think it was Greg. Uh, it would cost us, I love what you just said, letting our own experience dictate the entirety of truth rather than having some mystery be involved. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Nick said, it's, it's hard enough for us to believe in just basic fairness, justice to happen in the world, much less something miraculous that defies the laws of gravity or the laws of common sense. We would have to embrace the tension of uncertainty. Thank you. Now, I don't know what your definition of faith is, but my definition of faith is pretty close to what you just said. Is placing your trust in something that you can't be certain of. Or otherwise it wouldn't be faith. It would just be, what would it be? It would be like everyone. It would be logic. It would be, but you have to, that old Indiana Jones movie, remember? I can't remember what it was, but where he's going across the bridge and he realizes the only way that the next step is going to, up here is if he steps out onto the invisible bridge and clunk, and he just has to do it. And if he's wrong, he's wrong. And I think this is part of the, the, the crux of this kind of a story and believing in Joseph's decision. Um, I don't think you have to buy everything in this, but at least consider that how it was written is how it might have happened. So Matthew 1, 24 and 25, when Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but he had no marital relations with her until she had born a son. And he named him Jesus. Uh, what does it mean in the Bible to awake from sleep? Anyone? Just throw stuff out. Say it again, Greg. To come alive to a greater possibility. I don't know if you're going to get much better than that in terms of the definition. To come alive to a greater possibility. Doesn't, like, how does that, even that phrase, when it comes off, when you hear me say that, 
to come alive to a greater possibility. How does that make you feel? Seems too miraculous, Nate. Yes. Thanks, Kara. Expansive. Oh, thanks, Rebecca. You feel, you, you feel relieved. What else? Mm. Thanks, Ron. It feels something like something like feels like something that I need to do, but can't. How do you wake up? I mean, like from sleep. <laughs> Great grouchy. Linda, can we get some confirmation there? <laughs> Silence. <laughs> but I mean, like, do you try to wake up? I mean, you try to get up. I don't know that you try to wake up, though. You find yourself coming to consciousness. What if God is always trying to wake us up? Whenever we're asleep, meaning whenever we're settling for a much lower understanding of what's happening in ourselves, in the other, in the world. You know that jerk that you're so mad at right now? Well, there's a great reason you're mad at that person. They're a jerk. But what if you could sort of wake up to a greater reality that's happening, a current that's flowing? What if you could connect to that? There's a passage in Genesis, because it's always got to go back there, right? <laughs> Chapter 28, Jacob you know, he's the guy that stole the birthright from his brother Esau, poor guy, through, and he stole his blessing too. Just what a, whew. and uh, he ran away from his family to start a life together. He's going to go get married. So he went to his uncle's house <laughs> to marry his cousin, because that's what happened back in the Bronze Age, I guess. Um, and at some point in this journey, he uh, is out in the wilderness and he lays down, takes a rock, puts it under his head. Ouch. Uh, and then he falls asleep and has a dream, and he dreams of angels going up and down this ladder. And when he wakes up, he goes, oh, my gosh. The Lord was in this place, and I was not aware. And it changed the trajectory of his life of what he was going to do next. And I think when we wake up, when we really wake up, you can see your plans for what they really are. And your plans are good, and some plans are great, you know? Go ahead and do those plans. But then when you have a moment where you wake up and where God invites you to see something more, to see a different level of reality, to see what's possible, even if your reputation is going to be at stake, even if you kind of do that thing. Mm, 
um, you're invited to just go with it, to change your plans and go with what God is asking you to do. That's the invitation of the fourth Sunday of Advent. Will you, when God wakes you up and invites you to change your good plans, what will you do? Ephesians 5.14, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. What do you think that means? That's an all-play question. Arise from the dead? <laughs> all of a sudden, are we dead? <laughs> oh, Cassandra, we're not... If you're dead, that just means you're not thinking in an eternal mindset. I like that. What does it mean to arise and have the light of Christ or just Christ will shine on you? Thanks, Joe. I'm not going to be able to repeat that because it was so good, but Christ comes like one of those days where you wake up and just you're attuned. You ever had one of those days where you're just attuned? Yes, Barb, you learn to hear God's voice and trust it, right? Trust it. Now, you might be thinking, well, how do I do that, you know? And here's what I want to say. Look around the room, actually, right now. How do you learn to hear God's voice? If you don't know, ask someone in this room. And the, t and the two of you, the three of you, the four of you, the ten of you, the twelve of you, we'll figure that out together. Isaiah 60, verse 1, arise. Shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. So when Jacob got this news, when he woke up, this is what he heard God say. This is from Genesis 28, verse 13. And the Lord stood beside him in the dream and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, who was his actual father. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Now, this is what God says to Jacob, who stole his brother's birthright and his brother's blessing. Pretty amazing. 
all the families of the earth will be blessed in you and in your offspring. What is that supposed to mean? It's an all-play question. Say it again, Nate. Your offspring will be able to wake up too. Uh, in, um, in the Hebrew mind, in the Hebrew scriptures, um, there was a special understanding of the life of God flowing through people from generation to generation, from blessing flowing through people from generation to generation. So that's why you pull up, open the Bible, and in Matthew 1, the first thing you read is what? A genealogy. Super boring. So you skip over that. But remember the passages that we read today, when Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. It comes from Matthew 1. If you read the genealogy from Matthew 1, you read about all those descendants, all that dust of the earth that comes from Jacob. Read it. His name is right in there. And then some of the names that come after the name of Jacob, names like Tamar, Rahab, and the wife of Uriah, who is Bathsheba, Ruth, Boaz, all these names. And you know, all these names have stories. And some of those stories are really, really bizarre. <laughs> And like, if this was the plan, the genealogy of Jesus included a prostitute named Rahab and the result of incest and all kinds of craziness. And it's written right there in Matthew chapter 1. If that's true, then why in the world do we think that our life has to go according to plan 100%. <laughs> For real. We're so worried. Oh, man, if I don't get this right, if I don't get this next decision right, if I don't get this next plan right, if I don't do this next thing right, if I don't follow God right, if I don't wake up right, and that's what some of you are thinking right now. Okay, the next two days, I got to learn how to wake up. How do I do that? Pressure. You know, well, that's not how you do it <laughs> at all. Maybe you learn how to wake up by going through the process of Advent, having a vision of swords into plowshares and spears into pruners, the reversing of, of violence. And don't think macro violence right now. You can if you want to, but think just the violence you do to your own self. By the, by the hatred you speak into your own life. What would it look like to allow God to like, take out those spears that you've stabbed into your own heart? Reverse, I mean, that's the picture. Reverse the violence, that's the picture. But then you gotta go into the wilderness and say, I can't do that on my own. And then you gotta come to the end of yourself and let the wilderness do what it's supposed to do rather than fighting it. And you actually realize that you are comforted in the wilderness like Hagar was last week. And then at some mysterious point, you wake up. And you don't just wake up once, you wake up a whole lot of times. 
And we have to wake up a whole lot of times. And we realize that the plans in our lives did get messed up. Oh, my Lord, they got messed up more than once. But there's always a chance to wake up. That's why I like that metaphor. There's always a chance to wake up to what God has for you, to wake up to the reality of God in this world and in your life. Then Jacob woke up from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. And Joseph woke up from that dream and said, well, <laughs> I guess my life is going to be a little different than I thought. And he married that girl because he loved her. And he really did want to do the right thing. And then he raised Jesus, the Son of God. That must have been fun. <laughs> Maybe it was fun. Maybe it was amazing. What if we could read his journals, you know? Oh. Here's the invitation. Consider one of your plans that you have, that you're holding right now, you're feeling anxious about it maybe, and say to God, just say to God, I am open to waking up to you and to making a different plan. I'm open to meeting with you in this place, in this wilderness of not knowing, and I'm open to doing something different, even if it doesn't make sense. Now, that takes time and discernment, and don't, you know, rush into something, but take a plan that you have, good plan, and just say, okay, God, I'm open. I'm open to waking up. Hmm. Last all play question. How does that sound? Hopeful, doable, good, good, exciting and terrifying. They usually go together, right, Kara? Well, if you're nervous about it, just get around an Enneagram 7, and they'll just point you to the right direction, right, Nate? And it's like, what's so, what's so terrifying about breaking all your plans and doing something totally different? That's what I do every day. Oh, you guys. Um, the truth is, I'm glad I said yes to being a pastor all those years ago. And um, great. Hmm. Thanks, Brian. I'm grateful for you all. This is a tremendous community to be taking risks with and to be waking up with. It's really, really tremendous. It's a great blessing. Endings are a place where life is remade.
Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any, any questions, questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscove.org.